two weeks ago, we started a new series entitled Ecclesia. Say Ecclesia. And we began with the events directly after the resurrection. So if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go to our YouTube page to watch the message of the first, the first Ecclesia message, because I believe it will bless you. So if you'll remember from two weeks ago, about 120 were gathered in the upper room. Say 120. They were gathered in the upper room, and they were praying, and they were waiting for the promise of the Father. While, they're, while they waited, if you'll remember, they added to the disciples a 12th member to replace Judas. Remember the casting of the lots, right? So now they have 12 disciples. They're made whole, and they are again praying and waiting. And they are waiting for, again, what we call the promise of the Father. Today, we are going to look at the promise of the Father. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, for the privilege to stand behind this pulpit. For the privilege to dive into your masterpiece, the scriptures. And look at what happened then and how it applies to us now. Lord, I pray that we may be open in our hearts to whatever it is your spirit wants to do this morning. I pray that we set aside our agenda and we are fully open to yours. Lord, that we set aside our time, we set aside our consideration for lunch and what we're doing after, and we just think about where we are now. Holy Spirit, move upon this place. Minister to us. Lord, let this not be a message that we hold on to for a short time and let go of, but one that sticks with us. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to pick up this morning in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 1 as they experience what is called the promise of the Father. Say, the promise of the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house, say the entire house, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Say, the day of Pentecost. This is, this is significant not just in Christian culture, but in Jewish culture. The day of Pentecost took place, it, it was and still is a Jewish holiday. It took place 50 days after the Passover. In Christianity, it marks 50 days after the resurrection. Amen? So it is, uh, for us, it is seven Sundays. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday, seven Sundays from Easter. So if Jesus was with them for 40 days after the resurrection... And then after the ascension, he was he ascended 40 days later, right? How long were they praying and waiting for? He was with them for 40. He said, go and go to the upper room and pray and wait. And they waited until the day of Pentecost. So how many days did they wait for? 10. 
They are with them for 40, with, with Christ for 40. Christ says, go to the upper room, wait for the promise of the Father, and they go, and they go for 10 days of praying and waiting. I want to ask you, have you ever prayed for 10 days? I mean continual just praying and waiting. How many have ever prayed for one day? How many have ever prayed for one hour? Praise the Lord. We're going to go up from there. That's the benchmark, right? 30 minutes. going to be 30 minutes. <laughs> Anybody? Listen, it's an interesting thing because they weren't exactly sure when the promise was going to come. So day one goes by praying and waiting. Not yet. Day two, day three, day four. It makes me wonder. We don't know for sure. They started with 120. We don't know exactly how many are there on the 10th day. I wonder how many got tired after day six. I wonder how many got tired after day nine. Ooh, just one more day. Ten days go by. The day of Pentecost comes by. And what happens is the Bible says that there is a sound of rushing wind that filled the entire house. With that wind came fire, and the fire rested upon the heads of those that were there. It says, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, say other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. This event was and is the promise of the Father. Now, it's important for us to take a step back here and talk about definitions and terms. Definitions and meanings. This church, where, where you are here today, is what is referred to as a Pentecostal church. Amen? Don't all get excited here. We sound like a Baptist church this morning. Come on. Hey, we are a Pentecostal church this morning. Amen? Hey, listen, you might... You, People can get upset, people can get offended, but the truth is, we want to have life in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I say Baptist, I, I, I kid jokingly, because Baptists can be filled with the Spirit too. Amen? Come on. I heard one pastor say it this way. It was so funny. He said, uh, he said oh, it was so funny, because there's in the FCA, there are some churches that are much more conservative and some that are more liberal, and so there are some that are way out there in their charismatic experience, and some that are much, much less out there. And one pastor referred to himself as a clapping Baptist. And I thought that was funny because I thought, well, yeah, I get that. So this church is a Pentecostal church. So what it means is this. If you're confused about what that means, it means this. And I'm going to take this from, our, from the FCA, what we believe. We believe in the present ministry that is today of the Holy Spirit, which includes the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as an experience distinct from regeneration. His indwelling by which the Christian is enabled to live a godly life, his supernatural gifting and empowering of the church for its work, for our life, and for worship. Amen? When we use the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, we can see in Scripture there are two definitions. There are two definitions to Baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? One is given by Paul. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are baptized into one body. Say one body. That is, at the moment of salvation, when I have accepted Jesus Christ into my heart, there is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that brings about regeneration of your spirit. The Bible says whether you are Jew or Greek or slave or free, right? Jew or Greek, slave or free, you were once dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Christ. Amen? So the other definition, so that is one definition by Paul in 1 Corinthians of baptism. We are all baptized into one body. Second definition is given by Luke. Luke gives this definition, who is the author of Acts, of course. And this definition is different. It means that we are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. This is a secondary experience to salvation and should not just be a part of the life of the believer, but part of the continual life of the believer. Amen? It wasn't just, well, I had an experience with God in 1995. Right? Two weeks ago, I said 1987, so we're moving up in the timeline here. I had an experience with God in 1995, and, and boy, something happened, and I got goosebumps, and I got the chills, and, and now I'm spirit-filled. I don't care if you were spirit-filled in 1995. I care, are you spirit-filled today? People say, well, I got it once. I'm sorry. Well, you don't understand, years and years ago I was praying, I was in a service, I felt the Holy Spirit, and I got it. And what happened? I went home, and I watched TV, and then I went to school, and for years and years and years, I kept relying on that one experience to constitute whether or not I was filled when the Bible doesn't call us to be filled once, but to be continually filled with his presence. Amen? We want to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. When we use the term baptized in the Holy Spirit, or filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what we're referring to. So, the first time we see this happening is Acts chapter 2, in verse 4. Now, they were filled, if you remember, they were filled, they were baptized with Holy Spirit dunamis power. Say dunamis. Dunamis is a Greek word. It's a word that we looked at two weeks ago. It's a word where we get dynamite from. It is explosive. It is powerful. It is energetic. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power or you shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, amen, you shall receive explosive, dynamic power for the glory of God. How many are happy about that? That when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you are filled to overflowing, that dunamis, dynamic, explosive power should be happening in your life. That's the life of the believer. That should be the life of Christians. Now, what we see in Acts chapter 2 is interesting. Because it says that they began to speak with other tongues. 
So what was this tongues? Now, there are some people who are here or maybe listening that would say, I know exactly where he's going. I know where he's going. I've heard of tongues. This thing is strange. Yes, it is. I know, I know exactly where he's going. I know that I know exactly where he's going. And there's people who go, I don't want, I don't know if I want to get into this. Let's get into this. We want to read all of scripture. Amen. We want to read all of it in context. Amen. And so that's what we're doing this morning. So what was tongues? Chapter 2, verse 5 says this. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So the sound, the rushing of the mighty wind, the fire comes down. The fire is on the heads of those who are there. Because each one, they, were, they came together, they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Each one was hearing them speak in their own language. So that means if I am praying, and you are from one country, and you are from another, and you are from another, and you are from another, I am praying, and you are all hearing what I am saying in the language that is native to you. That's incredible. That is a miracle. That is speaking in tongues. That is what is happening here. Verse 7 says, They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, from verse 9 through uh 11, it just lists the different Parthians and Medes and element, uh, it says Elamites and Mesopotamia, Judea. So it goes through all Egypt and it says this. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God. Verse 12 says this. And all were amazed and perplexed to one another, saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? Verse 13 says, but others mocked, saying they are filled with new wine. The fire of God rests upon them, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, for many years, I have been taught, and in fact, I have taught, that when this instance of baptism happens in the New Testament in, in Acts chapter 2, what has been taught is that when they were speaking in tongues, they were not speaking a heavenly language, but they were speaking an actual language. I still remember sitting in a Sunday school, sitting in a Bible class, and, so, and the teacher saying they spoke with tongues, and they said, does anybody know what that means? And I said, I know what that means because I'm Pentecostal. Hallelujah. Right? I was a short little kid that, I guess I was short. I don't know. I don't remember. But I was always kind of that kid that raised his hand. I know what it means, even if I didn't know what it means. My wife is staring at my son right now, saying, yeah. 
So I raised my hand. I said, I know what it means. And she said, what does it mean? I said, it's where you make sounds or you make sounds with your mouth and it doesn't make sense, but they heard something else. And she goes, no, you're wrong. And I said, okay. And she said, what it was, this teacher said what it was, was that they were actually speaking the, the native language. That's wrong. That's not the biblical account we hear here. That's not the biblical account. For years, I thought, oh, yeah, well, it's just, it was just they were hearing their own language. They were speaking their own language, but that's not what was happening. What they were doing was they were hearing their own language. The person speaking was not speaking their own language, but they were hearing their own language. I believe that we can look at the context of Scripture and see that what was spoken was in fact a spiritual language or one that does not make any sense. What we would call gibberish or nonsense. It didn't make any sense, but the, that was the speaker. The hearer was hearing their own language by the power of God. Now, how do I see this in the context of Scripture? Number one, the Bible says it was the Holy Spirit that gave them utterance. They spoke not by their own thoughts, but by God's. Amen? Number two, the Bible tells us that tongues is given as a sign to the unbeliever. It happens here to the amazement of the different people that were there. But there's no indication that the divine language interpretation continues throughout the lives of those who are speaking. It, it's not as if uh, I was praying and you heard me in French, or you heard me in Spanish, or you heard me in Dutch. And then I went off and all of a sudden I knew French, Spanish, and Dutch. No, there's no indication that that continued. Verse 13, number three. Verse 13 says that others mocked them, believing that they were drunk. They believed they were drunk. It means that what they heard sounded like gibberish. To them it was nonsense, but to others, what they heard was their own language. Now, one of the other reasons I believe this is not just the context, but my experience. You say, what's your experience? I was reminded uh, of a friend at a church who was praying over a Hispanic man. The man got done being prayed for, and this is a friend of mine. Actually, both people were friends of mine, and I was at the service when this happened. This person was praying for a Hispanic man. The man got done being prayed for and remarked how wonderfully the person spoke Spanish to them. The problem was this. The person that was praying didn't know any Spanish. Didn't know any Spanish at all. They were simply praying in tongues. And what the person heard was perfect Spanish. How incredible are the gifts of God? You say, Pastor David, I don't believe that. You don't have to. You don't have to. I'm telling you what my experience was. The next question that comes up in these studies always has to do with this. It has to do with the baptism of the Spirit and whether or not we speak in tongues as a result of it. 
Now, I've taught on this before, but it's worth repeating. So there are several schools of thought in this area. Some believe that there are no gifts available for us today. They are called cessationists, okay? It simply means that they believe that all gifts have ceased. There's no, simply no biblical justification for this belief. And to be honest, I find that those who are cessationists are usually uh, angry and sad. I really do. I find they're unusually angry and sad Christians. To me, it's no wonder why. When the power of God is not moving and evident and working in their life, it's no reason they're sad. It's no reason they're angry or upset. Then there are those, listen to this carefully, who believe that a person is not saved unless they have been filled with the Spirit and speak with what we call tongues. Now, this is heresy. It's heresy, right? It has no biblical justification and is a view held again by an angry minority. Then we have different groups. There are those who believe that a person can be saved, but is not filled with the Spirit unless they speak with tongues. Now, this would fall in line with many godly, loving Christians, loving believers that identify as Pentecostal or charismatic. And honestly, we regard them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? So they would be in line with the Assemblies of God, Church of God, things like that. Many of us came from a tradition such as this. I grew up in a tradition such as this. But even in this view, I would say clearly the, the emphasis on tongues is beyond where it should be. That the emphasis on tongues is beyond where it should be. Should be. One pastor said it this way, tongues aren't the point, Jesus is. Amen? Tongues are not the point Jesus is. And people say, well, hold on. There's Acts chapter 2. There's Acts chapter 10. There's Acts chapter 19. That when they were filled with the Spirit, they spoke with tongues. Yes, that happens. We would say in our understanding of Scripture surrounding tongues that it was a part of the narrative, but it wasn't part of the normative. That it was part of a, it was a description of what happened, but not a prescription for what has to always happen. And you say, Pastor David, why do you believe that? There's far too many people who believe that speaking in tongues is the gift instead of a gift. And so they'll go to someone and say, well, I speak in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? Well, I used to speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues for years. Do you speak in tongues? And that's what people do. And so they create subsections within believers of, well, I speak in tongues. Do you speak in tongues? And I will say, well, I have the gift of healing. Do you have the gift of healing? Well, no, but I speak in tongues. And that's the interesting thing, is we've created subsections of Christians who feel that they are more holy or more open to God because they speak in tongues, and other Christians who don't speak in tongues, and they feel less holy or less open to God. That is not biblical. Throughout all of Scripture, there were only two writers who made a point of discussing tongues, Luke and Paul. And it's worth noting that they were very close together in ministry. Not one other writer in the New Testament mentions it ever. Ever. Even the first-hand witnesses to the Upper Room Pentecost event, they don't mention it in any of their writings. In fact, Peter discusses spiritual gifts 
in 1 Peter and not once mentions tongues. Paul says this. I like what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19 says this. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. In the church, I'd rather speak five words that you understand than 10,000 words you don't. So what are we to, to conclude from all of this? Number one, tongues is a gift and a gift that is valued by Paul, clearly. It's a gift that if you have, you thank God for it and you use it frequently. It's used in our private prayer time. If it's used publicly, there should be an interpretation by somebody else. And Paul directs us that there shouldn't be too many tongues or interpretations within the church service. If it happens, praise the Lord, we will flow in that. And if it doesn't, praise the Lord, we will flow in that. It should be if, if it's something that God has gifted you with, praise the Lord for it. Amen. Number two, not all speak in tongues. Not all are prophets, not all are teachers. It doesn't mean that you are less holy or less open to God. Amen. Maybe you don't speak in tongues, but God has gifted you with healing, or God has gifted you with miracles, or God has gifted you with wisdom. But that's an entirely different sermon. So this incredible baptism in tongues event happens in Acts chapter 2, and Peter hears the crowd saying that they are drunk. Whoa, 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 these, these yahoos are just drunk. They're filled with new wine, is what they say. And now the man who has denied Jesus three times steps into the role that God has been preparing for him the whole time. I want to stop here and point this out. The man who denied Jesus three times is now about to step into a role that God had for him the whole time. There may be some of you here today who don't feel like Peter after the resurrection, but feel like Peter before the resurrection. You have denied Jesus over and over and over again in your life. Peter did it three times. He was worried about being associated with him. How many can relate? He was worried about being associated with this Christ, this Savior, this King of the Jews. After the resurrection, they spend 40 days together. He sees him ascend to heaven. They go to wait and pray for 10 days. After 10 days, the Spirit comes in like a rushing wind and fire appears over his head. He goes out and begins to speak in tongues and people hear it in their own language. 
And now the man who decided to deny Jesus steps up into what God had for him. If you are worried that God may not have something for you because of how you are right now, I'm telling you, when you repent, when you get right with God, when you become open to the Holy Spirit, when you move in that, God will put you in a place where you will be able to minister to those around you. Peter does just that at this moment. Acts chapter 2, he starts to preach a sermon. He is saved, he is filled with the Spirit, and under the power of the Holy Ghost, he begins to preach. The sermon happens in verses 14 through 40. It's a sermon that cuts them to the heart. He reminds them of the prophecies of David concerning the Messiah. And with conviction, he reveals that Jesus Christ is Lord and that it was them who crucified him. He calls on them to repent in the name of Jesus. He, he calls on them to be saved from a crooked generation. How many know we are living in a crooked generation? I don't know if you've turned on the news lately. But we are living in a crooked generation. It is not right in its thinking. It is unholy. It is unrighteous. It is ungodly. And as the church, we have a responsibility to uphold the, the principles of the Bible. Amen? Acts 2 and verse 40 tells us that he preached many things to them and that those who received his words were baptized, or they were saved, they were regenerated. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to the church, to the ecclesia. If you weren't here two weeks ago, we talked, the ecclesia means the church. And it's not this building, it's those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ of the Bible. Not a false Jesus. Not a false God. And that those who come together and believe in Jesus, testify of Jesus, they are part of the ecclesia. They are part of the church. Peter preaches under the power of the Holy Spirit. He preaches out of the filling and then the overflow of the presence of God. And in doing so, he is drawing souls toward Christ. When you minister out of the overflow, when you minister out of that, I mean, just, just the Spirit coming up and flowing out of you, it will draw men to Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit never points to himself he only points to Jesus. That's why it's so worrisome to, to, to go to these churches and look at these pastors and talk to these people who are following gifts and signs and wonders and, and just looking for the next sign, looking for the next gift, looking for the next wonder. Stop looking for those things. Stop looking. You will be led astray so easily by looking for signs and gifts and wonders. Instead, stop searching for gifts and start looking for the giver. 
We get so caught up as Bible-believing Christians who love the Lord. When's the next miracle? When's the next sign? Where's the next angel feather? Where's the, where's the next instance of gold dust or costume jewelry that looks like it's real? Come on. And we get caught up in that stuff. The Holy Spirit always points to Christ. There's many Christians who are worshiping the Holy Spirit when they need to be worshiping Christ. We understand the Trinity. We understand these three are one. But the role of the Holy Spirit is always to point to Jesus. To be filled with the Spirit, or what we call to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, is to be filled with the overflowing presence of God. Listen, when you're filled with God, you're not filled with sin. Amen? When you're filled with God, you take on a boldness to share your faith that you wouldn't have otherwise. When you are filled with God, those around you take notice that something is different and they want to be a part of what's going on. When you are filled with God, gifts will operate through you. And when you use those gifts properly, you will bring God glory and lift Jesus higher in your life. When you are filled with God, when you are baptized, in the Holy Spirit, when you are filled to overflowing. And some of you have been Christians a long time, and you've never experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been Christians for a long, long time, and maybe you prayed one day back in 1995, and you felt a shiver. You shed a tear. And you said, oh, I got the Holy Spirit. But you haven't felt His presence since. And now you're just going day by day. Hour by hour. With some semblance of a relationship but no semblance of intimacy. So there's a difference between relationship and intimacy, right? I can have a relationship with my wife, but when there's no intimacy, it creates problems. Oh, I know them. How many ever heard somebody say they know a celebrity? Oh, I know them. I ran into them on the bus once. I ran into a celebrity when I was in the airport. Uh, there's a band, I don't know if you ever heard of it, called Five Finger Death Punch. How many ever heard of that? Right? I'm in the restaurant at the, at the airport waiting for my flight to Arizona. And about two, two feet from me sits a guy. And I looked at him real, real, real seriously and I said, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to need six feet. And he goes, oh, I go, I'm just kidding, man. And he goes, oh, that's a good one. And we start talking about what's on the TV. He says, yeah, I'm in a band. I go, ah, okay. Honestly, I didn't know who the guy was in any way, shape, or form. He just said he was in a band. And I went, eh, okay. In a garage band, who cares? I don't know. 
That's what I was thinking. Oh, you're in a band. Yeah, good for you. I'm an adult. Oh. That's exactly what I thought, too. That is, I was like, oh, hey. And we start talking. We're, well, we're talking about what's on the TV, and we're laughing. I go, hey, just, I, and I only had maybe five, ten minutes there. I said, hey, out of curiosity, what band are you with? And he goes, uh, have you ever heard of Five Finger Death Punch? And I said, well, one time I heard somebody wanted to play it at a funeral. And uh, so I, I've heard of it, but I don't know who they are. And he said, I'm the drummer. He's from St. Paul. The band is based out of Vegas. And he has to fly there back and forth. I said, oh, good for you. So then I went and Googled them. Because I had no idea who he was. Turns out, I was sitting next to a pretty known dude whose bank account was substantially bigger than mine. Because all of a sudden on Google now, you can say celebrity and it points out net worth. And so of course you click on it because you need to know. I can't even remember the guy's name now. Why? Because I just had a, I just, I just had a small interaction with him. I just had a, oh, we sat down, we, we, we ate a burger. We looked at the TV, we laughed, we, we just, just casual. But I, I don't know him. I can't be like, that's my buddy. That's my best friend. He's the drummer of da 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 da. I don't, that's not, well, there's no relationship there. So many of us treat Jesus like somebody we just ran into. We just ran into him on the bus. We just ran into him in the restaurant. But there's no intimacy. When there's no power of the Holy Spirit moving through your life, you cannot have intimacy with God. You cannot have intimacy with God. You say, Pastor David, that's a strong statement. Listen, I know of plenty of dead churches around here where you can go and have a seat and be a member, and they'll be happy to have you. But we will not be a dead church this morning, amen? We are called to be filled with the Spirit. We are Pentecostal. We're not going to apologize for it. We believe in what the Bible says, and we're going to move in it. And if you don't like it, that's okay, but go somewhere else. We are called to live lives in the presence of God. And if you are not, you are not living the life that God has for you. How many want to be filled with the Spirit this morning? Come on, if you would stand with me this morning. How many want to be filled with the Spirit this morning? Raise your hand. We're going to do something this morning that I have never done. If I could get the board members to come forward. Austin, if you could come and play. If my wife could come, if Doug and Carol could come up as well. Carol, put the baby down for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, uh, wives as well. If if board members, if if your wives are here, please, Susie Jensen, please come on up. Steve and Suzanne Mann, please come on up. You say, why are you picking them? Because they are filled with the Spirit.
How many want to be filled with the Spirit this morning? Amen. Some of you already are. I mean, praise the Lord. Amen. How many want to be more filled with the Holy Spirit? Amen. Come on. If you want to be filled with the Spirit or filled more with the Holy Spirit, we're going to do something. I've never done it before. I don't know if we're going to do it again. But we're going to pray over you. And here's what I want us to do. We've, you've taken communion here. I want everybody to start over here. You're going to come out of the aisle and you're going to, you're going to walk through here. And we're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill your life. Not just an experience from 10 years ago. Not just an experience from 20 years ago. But an experience today. And some may speak with tongues. Some may have other gifts. Some may manifest now. Some may manifest later. That's okay. We're not looking for you to fall down or roll in the aisles or start swinging from the fans. Amen? That's not what, listen, we aren't looking for that. If that happens, praise the Lord, we're going to need new fans. Amen? If you want to be filled with the Spirit, get in line. Over this way. And we're going to start walking through here and we're going to walk around. If you're over here, come over here just like communion. Except instead of going this way, you're coming all the way this way. We're going to worship and we're going to pray as you come forward. Come forward now. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Come forward, please. I'm sorry. Let me give you some direction here. If you're on the board, as they're walking through, just lay hands on them and let them keep walking. They're going to walk all the way through. Imagine this is a tunnel. Walk slowly. Amen. We're not rushing this. So, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would fill those who are here. And you guys just keep walking. And I promise you, those who are laying hands on you are filled with the Spirit. They love the Lord, and they want to see the Spirit of God move in your life.